I oftentimes like to take this map. I don't always do this, but occasionally I take it and I put it on the floor and I crawl around on it and think about the countries of the world. Think about the responsibility God so loved the world. William Carey, to know the will of God, he says, you need an open Bible and an open map. An open Bible, an open map. Another man said we ought, to start, we ought to study larger maps, more than just what we see in Hammond and Crown Point and Chicago, but more than America, more than Florida or California or Oregon or New Jersey. We ought, to just, we ought to study larger maps. God wants the world to hear about Jesus. And I think what happens in the month of March here at First Baptist Church, we're at unprecedented times with unprecedented wealth. God has been good to us as a country. Oh, we've got issues, but we're far ahead of Venezuela. There's no way that Venezuela can do what this church can do. Right now, they cannot. They're too, they're too crippled. Cuba. God's let us live in America. There are prayers that we can pray. There are things we can do. There are places we can go that we can make an impact for the gospel ministry. And I want every one of us to think about that, especially in this month. This month culminates with our missions conference. Wednesday night is a highlight. We usually have the Parade of Nations where we'll have young people all over this audience that will be dressed in, in native costumes and flags that they're representing different countries of the world. It's a special night. It reminds us of the great need of the world. We'll have a chance to honor missionaries that are with us, those 16 that we've invited to come and share with them. But really, this cause of, this cause of world evangelization is much more about what we do next year. It's not really what happens at the missions conference. It's what God does in the missions conference that helps us continue the cause of world evangelism for another year. I don't want to just have a big 4th of July, you know, fireworks show, and then it just fizzle out. We really need to keep momentum going. We need to pray every day that God would call more young people, more servants into the field. We need to pray for countries of the world that we don't have missionaries there. Places, like when you think about the Falkland Islands. I don't know of a single missionary there. There may be some, I just don't know about them. I know one missionary to Suriname. Uh, Brother, Brother Holmes, he's our missionary in Nigeria. I think he's one of three or two other missionaries left. Now, thank God there are two or three more Hiles Anderson graduates and a couple, another one from another college going there. There's so much to be done and so much to learn. And we may, God may be touching our hearts. One of the things I love about missions is that God is at work. He's doing something. It's His call. As we look at the story of David and Goliath, in this long chapter of God's Word, as I shared already, it's, the tenth long, it's one of the, the tenth longest chapters in the Bible. It's a beautiful chapter, and of course it comes uh, right after Saul's uh, rebuke for rebellions as a sin of witchcraft, and his, his presumption, his continuous uh, sin, and, and apathy toward God's call in his life. And then he came very empty, and the Spirit of God just said, look, I'm not going to strive with you. I'm done. I'll find someone who has my own heart, that thinks like I think, that feels like I feel, and that wants what I want. And he found a little shepherd boy, David. And of course, you know the story. 
He went and found his, uh, his brothers after delivering a carriage of food and some snacks to the, to the soldier boys there. He hears Goliath. It ends up getting him into Saul's um, palace. And he says, look, uh, you're too young. You're too little. This guy's a warrior from his youth. He says, I've killed a lion and a bear. And, and of course, uh, a few minutes later, he is picking up some rocks and, and takes one rock, one, one sling, and it lands in the forehead of the Goliath. He falls down, and then he goes and stands on top of him, pulls his, Goliath does not even take his sword out. He stands up and comes toward him, doesn't even, he's not even prepared to fight him. He pulls, pulls the sword out of his sleeves, cuts his head off, holds his head up, and uh, all the fear, the cockiness that was from the Philistines now turns to fear. They turned around, they're stunned that their mighty champion that has 80 times over the last 40 days has gone up and blasphemed and in a very cocky way, an arrogant way, has, has presented himself. And now the fear shifts onto them and God's people get excited. And they see them in flight and they get all excited and they run and chase them and pillage them and kill them and, and spoil their tents and come back to Jerusalem. And um, David brings the head of Goliath back to Jerusalem, puts his armor in his tent. And, and, then, um, and then Saul says, now whose son is that boy? Because he knew now that, that man, whoever, how much property owned, he wasn't collecting any more taxes, I'm sure. But we see the story. It's, a, it's an amazing story. There's a couple things I want to share with you by way of review. Once you notice the cause, the goal, David asked and his brother uh, uh, came to him and said, I know what you're doing. I know how naughty you are. And of course, he probably has sour grapes from seeing him get passed over as the next king. And now his little brother is. And who's watching those little sheep as he listens to the other soldier boys with him? And he, he looks at, a, he looks at um, Eliab and said, is there not a cause? Is there not a reason to do this? And it shut him up. But he turned around and went to other guys. He says, isn't there a cause? Isn't there a cause? And I believe the cause he was talking about is, is global awareness of God. And whenever he had that sling in his hand, he said, you've come to me a spear and a sword. You've got a shield there. I come to you in the name of the Lord, that all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel. He was thinking about how God thought. God is a global God. He wants the whole world to hear about him, to hear about the true God in his son, Jesus. So we find the cause there, and what we need to be committed to the cause. My prayer is that every one of us, I do not study the giving of our church. I do not know who gives, who doesn't give. I know some, because of testimonies, people have learned to increase their giving, but I want every single person to give. You say, Pastor, why? You want us to give more money on, so that we can tell people? I don't care about telling people. I want you to be blessed. I know that people hear the gospel, and I, I was thinking about this, I was sitting here listening to I Surrender All, and a great song by our young ladies tonight, but it's just thinking about, I wonder how many wonderful stories are out there. I remember when I was 17, I was sitting in an auditorium, Don Sisk was the guest speaker, and he, he instructed all the ushers, as I'll do this next week, all the ushers to give every single person a faith promise commitment card. He says, look, I don't want you to fill it out. I want you to keep it in your Bible. And when you read your Bibles, we pray. And ask God what He would want you to do every week for the cause of world evangelism. 
That was a life-changing moment for me. I had no idea I was making the big bucks over at Arby's Roast Beef Restaurant. Making like $57 every two weeks or something like that. I was thinking, man, what could I do? What, could I, what, could, what would God want me to do? But that was, a, that was a game changer for me. When I started giving systematically to the cause of world evangelism, and I don't know exactly all that is meant for John Wilkerson. I don't think I'll ever know until I stand before the Lord. I'm pretty confident that I wouldn't be standing here today if I had not filled out that, that faith promise commitment card. I don't think I'd be married to that beautiful girl back there. But when Linda came to me, I was so needful for her. I didn't know who she was. I didn't know what I needed, but I needed something. And only God could have met my need. And He met it in the person of Linda Francis. And I'm so glad that she came when she came to my life. Whenever we found out her son was with the Lord, getting off the San Jose Corners uh, phone call and finding out that we were going to figure out life now without Tyler. Right then, I don't care how much money I would have had, it wouldn't have been enough. I didn't need money. What I needed, I needed comfort. I needed perspective. I needed wisdom on what to do. And this is one of the things I believe with all my heart, that my God shall supply all your needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That is a, a wonderful promise, but it's not everybody's promise. I don't know who in here could claim that promise. But I do believe it's a promise given to people who learn to give. Who learn to give above their tithe and offerings to a missionary. And that church at Philippi is given that promise because they had learned once and again and over and again. And then Paul says as he's in the, in the prison cell, he says, look... I rejoice at last. Your care for me hath flourished again. Man, when I was just a few miles from you, you gave once and again to my necessity when I was in Thessalonica, just a few miles away from you. You guys did, in a matter of three weeks, you gave two times. You sent someone on foot or rode over to where we were and made sure we had what we needed. And you've done that my whole ministry. And then he says, my God will supply all your needs. I want that for our church. I want that for you. I want that for our kids. I want that for each of our children. I want if, I, if the Lord will help little Lorelai learn to give one day. I want it for her. I want everybody. I want every man, every woman, every child to do something for world evangelism. Because God wants His name shed abroad. We need to all get involved with that. It's a great cause. We need to be committed to the goal. Number two, I want you to notice not only the goal, but the giants. And it was intimidating. When I think about Goliath, I think several things. Number one, he was strong. And if you try to get involved in world evangelism, you're going to have some things that are cause, that cause you some concern. Some strong things. Sometimes, unfortunately, it's parents. I've had parents say, you know, I don't like this mission card. I'm afraid one of my kids are going to surrender. That's what you want to have happen, Spanky. Don't, don't fight against that. I don't want you to go to the mission field. You would want, if you knew what God wanted, that's not bad. It's a good thing. I was talking to, um, I don't remember who I was talking with the other day. Oh, I know. Mrs. DeMoville, Kelly DeMoville's mom. She came for the wedding of her, of her daughter, of her granddaughter, Allison. Her parents could not come. 
If they left the Philippines, they wouldn't be able to get back in. It was a lot of challenges. And they decided with her, and with her blessing and her understanding, said, Allison, we'd love to be there for you. Love to walk you down the aisle, but I, I think if we leave the Philippines, we'll lose momentum, and, and we may not be able to get back in. So we're going to watch it on, on Skype. And they, on that camera right there, we put their picture there, and Allison could see them, and they could see the wedding. And um, it was beautiful. I watched Miss Kelly cry. Probably wishes she could sit right here, like all the other mamas get to do. The dad wished he could have walked down as he watched his dad muddle his way down this direction and did what he would have loved to do. I don't think I, I've had a lot of wonderful experiences in my life. I never had one like walking Lydia down that aisle. That was like, I felt like I was on a Hallmark movie or something. Thought time stood still, and I thought, man, this is something else. He didn't get the chance to do that. And I saw that, but you know, in the foyer after all the wedding was done, it was a beautiful wedding, sweet couple that are going to love, love the Lord and serve the Lord in Montana as an assistant pastor in a few months. But I, I stood out in the foyer and I saw Miss Kelly's mom. And she had. It was emotional, too, but she said, you know, I said, thank you. Thank you for loving. She goes, you know, I'm privileged by God to be the mother of a missionary. I feel so privileged by God that my daughter can be used of God. Some of we have the giant of fear. We're afraid. We're intimidated. We have those Goliaths that, that, that sound out things, and everybody else is sounding out after them. They're thinking, oh, man, if you give too aggressive to missions, you'll never have enough to retire. What are you going to do? You keep giving like that? You can't see the bottom of your, of your finances? You're getting a little crazy on there? I've, I've seen giving people. I've told the story of a man. He was a contractor. And God blessed him. And boy, he gave aggressively to the things of God. He was doing so well, the church was going to do an, an educational building. And he and his wife talked about it, and they said, you know what, let's, let's build that educational building for our church. And he did, and he gave aggressively. After that was all done, the economy collapsed. His business went down. All the things he had had, he had to start selling off all the stuff. He had to move out of his big house to a downsized house. And it just, it didn't go well financially for a while. And he and his friend were driving in their pickup truck, and he said, I'll bet you wish you had your money back from that. Well, if you had the money you put into that building, you'd, you'd be doing a lot better right now. He said, are you kidding me? That's the only money I had that I'm going to see again. <laughs> he said, I would have lost that money too if I hadn't given it to the Lord. Now I have something to show for little boys and girls going there, and they get the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's one of my greatest prizes. I don't live in the big house anymore, but I can go in that auditorium, and I can go in that child, that education wing, and I can see kids get saved, and bus kids get inside there. He goes, I'm, that's the best investment I made. You know, every one of us, our money one day is going to be like a counterfeit money in the south after Lee has already surrendered in the north. We're all piling up all this counterfeit money, and just in a few days, it's going to be worth not even the paper to put you, to, to burn you, warm yourself by the fire with. And we're claiming all this stuff, and we're getting all this stuff, and just in a few moments, it won't matter. 
Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And I think if there's ever time, we ought to be aggressive. But we have, we have a giant standing in front of us. And he's strong. And he's loud. And he's intimidating. And he gives out threats. You're not going to make it. And there's no sense getting crazy about this. And you've got your career. How could you leave this and do that? I think of Lomer Hope de la Cruz. A Filipino making money hand over fist. What he dreamed to do in the medical field. And then God says, I want you to go to Cambodia. And now a plethora of churches have been started in Cambodia. And he's not making the money. Matter of fact, he, when you read his prayer letters, you can see that there, he's giving, he's giving, he's giving. He's asking, can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? That'll be great. He didn't have to do that. He could have watched the world go by and enjoyed his medical career. Think about so many others doing the same thing. So well, this doesn't make sense. What are you, you went over here. You got your education. How would you dare go to the mission field? You would do it because God wants you to. Why would you do it? It doesn't have to make sense. But we got some giants, and the giants are loud, and the giants are intimidating, and, and they're persistent. Isn't it interesting? Forty days, twice a day, coming after him, aggravating, frustrating. He was a persistent giant. But then we see everything hinges on two words, now David in verse 12. David comes on the page and things are different. Why is it different? Number one, he was anointed by God. Young people in the college, listen to me. I want to encourage you. You ought to seek the presence of God upon your life. You ought to want the anointing of God. So, well, Pastor, what should I want? You should want God all over you. That's what you should want. And God and you make a majority. You say, well, Pastor, how's that going to happen? It's probably going to happen with some time alone. It's going to happen with time on the backside of the Judean hills, watching sheep, doing menial things. But he was, he was definitely anointed. David was not only anointed, but he was courageous. He wasn't cocky. He just knew he had a God bigger than that Goliath. And people who fear God don't fear anything else. People who don't fear God are normally fearful of everything else. See, why was, why was Saul, the largest guy in the kingdom, huddled up in a fetal position, crying like a little girl, wondering what's going on? Because he didn't have God. He had, a, he had a sword, he had a spear, he had an armor, and he's sitting there, his teeth are chattering. And then that sent down the fear all through the ranks. Little guy comes out of the backside of a, of a Judean hills, and he's got courage. Not because of who he is, but who he knows is with him. God leaves his best to those who leave the choice up to him, and none of us should be afraid. The only thing you have to be afraid about in the will of God is missing out on it. That's what you need to be afraid about. What are you going to miss out if you do not do what God wants you to do? When it comes to giving, don't be afraid. I mean, pray about it. Don't be silly. Don't be frivolous. Don't say, I'm giving $1,000 a week and I'll just trust God to give it to me. I'm not, you, some of us could do that. Some of us, that's something you could do. But don't do something frivolous. But you ought to pray about it and say, God, do you want me to do something? Do you want me to give systematically? People who give systematically give more substantially. Every once in a while, I'm happy. Well, I just give whenever God blesses, I just give. And that's fine. But I think a guy or a girl who decides I'm going to give something every week, I'm going to... I'm going to 
I'm going to let God prosper me and lay by in store as He's put in my own heart. It will let every man, as He purposed in His own heart. You and God get alone with God and find out what God wants you to do and do it. And then if God gives you more, then give extra. But you don't do something every, this is my, this is my advice. It's not a requirement. There's not, not a verse in the Bible I can say, well, you have to give this much. Apostle Paul, whenever he presented the gospel to the, and this opportunity to give to the church at Corinth, he said, herein I give you my advice. For this is expedient for you. You're the winner. I can only speak for me. 53 years I've been breathing in these lungs and, and uh, living in this body. I've seen the Lord be very faithful. To give through what he would not give to. To help. I've seen him be faithful. I saw a guy one time. He was going door. Brother, Brother Jerry Vargo, he, uh, he discipled this guy. He was doing door-to-door cell phone plans when he got saved. Now he has sold multi-million dollars worth of property. And God has given through him what he would never give to him. I've seen guys who they can't put two nickels rubbed together. Remember one guy led to the Lord, didn't have windows in his house. Now he lives in a beautiful house, and he's got, and he's, and he's given thousands and thousands of dollars to world evangelism. Lots of, lots of things. Had a guy one time says, you know, I've been smoking all these years. I think I'm going to stop smoking, and I'm going to take the money that I was going to spend on cigarettes, and I'm going to put it on the world evangelism, I'll put it on something else, and I think I'm going to figure it out. And it motivated him to do something. That may be something God wants you to do. Or there may be some other thing that needs to happen. But I think about David. First of all, I think he was anointed. Number two, he was courageous. Number three, he was criticized. People don't understand. They're going to misunderstand you. He was misunderstood by his own brethren. He was misunderstood by the king. He was misunderstood by his enemies. And they, they gave him, and by the way, you get aggressive about world evangelism, you're going to be misunderstood. And there's going to be people that are near to you. Your family's going to say, are you nuts? What are you doing? He was misunderstood. But however, he was experienced. He had fought his little battles well. He had learned to fight his little giants, his little lions, his little bears, none of which would be little to me. But they were little compared to a nine foot, six inch warrior. But he, he fought those well. You know, there are some things... You say, Pastor, I don't have any call upon God in my life. But I'm telling you something. There's little things you're, you're facing that you need, to, you need to beat. You need to deal with. Don't try to go to the mission field when you're addicted to pornography. You need to kill that lion. You need to kill that bear. Don't try to say, well, I want God to use me. And then you can't, you can't manage your finances. Kill that bear. Kill that lion. Figure some things out. So well, I got a little bit of debt, it's only three or four or five thousand. Well, get rid of it. You can do much more by 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 uh, just 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 with getting serious with your finances in a few months than you can in years just casually dealing with it. There's some little lions, there's some little bears out there that need to be dealt with. I think David he had some confidence because he had seen what God helped him do in other times where no one else saw, but he knew it was him and God. Say, Pastor, I'm not letting someone the Lord in a while. Well, get out there. Beg God for a soul. He'll give you one. Get out there, keep talking to people. Talk to 10 people, 15 people, 20 people. Somebody will say yes to Jesus. So glad for a man today who brought a friend to church and he got saved at the end of a service. Some other folks came to know Christ today 
And the one man told me, he said, you know what? Because your people are so persistent. He said, I am here because of persistent people. <laughs> he said, but I just got saved a few minutes ago, and I'm glad I came. I'm going to be back next week, and my wife's going to come with me. Oh, that's wonderful. But find out, have you discipled anybody yet? That may be your lion or your tiger. Say, well, Pastor, that might be my bear. That may be something you need to get dealt with. Well, do it. I was bothered when I find someone who wants to be a missionary somewhere, and they're not winning people to Christ, they're not discipling anybody. If they're going to go start churches and train nationals, and they're going to win souls, and they're going to disciple people, I said, well, just tell me two or three people that you do that now. Who have you done that in the last year? And they just almost go lockjaw on me. Buh, 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 buh. So, why in the world? If you're not going to do that here in terra firma over here in America, why in the world would we send you with three or $4,000 to go do that someplace else in the world? And all of us need to, get, need, to, need to continue to fight those lions and those bears that come to our way. I find he was courageous. He was experienced. I find that he was realistic. When he saw that he couldn't operate with Saul's armor, he said, hang on a second, I haven't proven this. This is not me. <laughs> By the way, a good, thing to, a good day in your life when you realize that no one else is quite like you. And you're not like anybody else. And you need to decide, you know, I need to quit comparing myself among myself and just be the best me I can be with the situation I'm in. If you're a woman, if you're a man, if you're young, if you're old, if you're a pastor, you're assistant pastor, you're a deacon, deacon's wife, whatever it is. Just say, God, make me good in my own skin and comfortable and realistic and say, okay, what is my role? Nothing more frustrating than someone trying to climb a ladder, trying to get someplace. And promotion comes from the, doesn't come from the east or the west, it comes from Him. If there's a place you need to be, God will put you there. But I think he, he was realistic and understood, you know, I'm not really good at this stuff right here, but I do know a slingshot. I find another thing about David that blesses me is that he was young. He was young. I always challenge, I want to just challenge you, it's the young, and all of us, there's not, doesn't mean that some of us can't learn a language when we're 55 years old. We could do whatever God wants us to do. But when you're younger, you're more aggressive, you're more adventurous, you're dumber. Your brain cells are much more absorbent. You can catch on to environment situations. I'm just so glad that Rick and Becky Martin went when they were young. 45 years later, millions of people later, missionaries all over the world. Now, they, they could have gone when they were 50, but it probably would not be as productive. I'm glad that Kevin and Deborah Martin, or Kevin and Deborah Wynn went when they were young. I asked him one day, I said, how many, time, how many years did it take you to get 200 people? Now he has thousands of people. He said, yeah, probably about eight years. Eight years, all kinds of troubles. They almost quit so many times. You know what helped them? They were young. They were young. But also, I will say this, that you got to, I just think, to me, you may not be like this, and it's okay if you're not. But I can't help but think that David wasn't thinking about being enriched, Good news for daddy, you don't get taxed, and I can get married, and be the son-in-law to the king. That's not all bad. There was a reward. There was a carrot out in front of him. I don't think that's all wrong. I remember this. Faith in Jesus determines your eternal destiny, 
but works for Jesus determines your eternal rewards. I would encourage you, read your Bible thinking about how many times God says, if you do this, I'll do this. Peter said, okay, Lord, we've left all and followed you. What do we have? He says, no one's going to follow me without getting 10,000% interest. He said, I'm going I'm to not only in this life, but in the life to come. I think you, you look around, young people, you think, well, you know, I got to make sure I take care of me. And I want to make sure you're satisfied and make sure that you're independent. You don't depend upon anybody else. Our whole life is supposed to be dependent on the Lord. But you start looking down the, 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 the corridor of Christianity and you find the happiest people on the planet are people who surrender to the Lord. They trust the Lord. God's helping them. That's where you want to be. Now, I'm not telling you anything that you don't know. And God is working on any, any, individually on all of us. I love the fact that He understood that there was reward. I want you to notice real quick tonight also, not only the, the goal... And the giant and the guy, David. But I want you to think about the God. Here's what I want you to know in this story. Who do you think tapped Jesse on the, on the shoulder and said, I think it's time. Go check on the boys at that time. Who do you think pulled him off the shepherd fields? So, Dave, I need to come see you. I want you to do that. Who do you think was involved with that? On that last week of him after 80 day, after 80 times almost of getting up morning and night yelling at the, at the people of God and asking for a man to fight. Who put that together? Here's what I think, guys and girls. I think that God is at work in our world. And wise is the man and woman who will say, God, what are you trying to accomplish here? What do you want? What is my role in your decisions? Salvation begins with God. Say, Pastor, why in the world are we trying to reach the world of the gospel? Because God thinks it's a good idea. His last command is our first priority. If you were at the bedside of a man who was of importance and had wisdom, and he says, I have something to say. You wouldn't say, ah, oh, that's the old man. No, you say, What? And before Jesus left this earth five times in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and Acts, he said, hey, get out there. <laughs> Take the gospel to every creature. Teach them to observe all things whatsoever commanded you. He said, start in Jerusalem and go to all the other nations of the world in Luke. And John, he said, hey, as the Father sent me, so send I you. I'll give you my peace. Go. Before he goes to heaven, he's getting ready to ascend up into the clouds and two men are going to stand there and say, what are you looking up here for? He says, you receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Be witnesses unto me, both. The word both means together and at the same time. Together at the same time. It's one of the things I love about world evangelism because together at the same time, in just a few hours, all of us will be studying the back of our eyelids. You're gonna, some of you are doing a really good job right now. I got people coming to me and apologizing and falling asleep. Don't, don't apologize. I, it's normal. I understand. And I don't even see anyway. I'm oblivious to all that. But just a few hours, all of us 
will be falling asleep. There's a few folks who may have to go to work tonight and drive all night or what have you, taking long naps this afternoon, but most of us will be sleeping. And while you're sleeping, someone else is waking up. While you fall asleep tonight, they're, 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 they're out following up for visitors that came yesterday to Sunday school, church. They're talking to people about the gospel of Christ. And together, at the same time, both in Jerusalem, Hammond, and in Judea and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. That's why I get excited about world evangelism, because really, you want to see people get saved around the world. And when we do it, God rewards us. But God is doing something. I wrote down a couple things. And first of all, we know this about God. It's God's plan of salvation. It's God's gospel. It's God's great commission. Not His suggestion, it's His commission. It's not a command to be considered. It's not a, you know, an option to be considered. It's a command to be obeyed. It's God's Son that He sent. It's God's substance that He gives you to give. The Bible says when we learn to give, He will give us more to give. He says so that you'll have what you need and you'll be able to sow seed around the world. It's God's substance. Not a one of us have what we have because we're so great. If you've got two nickels rubbed together, it's because of the grace of God. If you can find your mouth this afternoon after church and put something in it, you're a blessed person. And then whatever's on that fork, God gave it to you. You can't go around and say, you know, I'm, I'm all that. I tell you, I've just got such intelligence and, and wisdom, made a lot of good decisions. I'm just a great guy. No. But for the grace of God, we'd all be a, in a pile of dirt. By the grace of God, we'd live under a bridge someplace or in some woman's shelter someplace. By the grace of God, we, would, we wouldn't have anything. God is so good to us. It's His substance. It's His Son. It's His servants. You know, when you, have a, when you have a missionary come through, it's, those are his people. Those are people saying, you know, I feel like God wants me to do that. Somewhere along the line, God's done this to them. So we ought to see them not as a beggar, but as a benefit. They belong to God. They're going to do things that God's going to use them to do. I really believe, brother, we don't want to be unkind, but I want to, I want to know that in just a few years when we stand together with God, or a few days maybe, and the pastor has to give an account. I'm supposed to watch for your souls. I'm supposed to help you figure out how to think, how to feel, and what to, what to do, what you what to want. I hope you'll be glad at the, at the missionaries that we have uh, selected as a church. We go to our deacons, each of our missionaries, and I throw it out to them. And if they have options, we can look at it again. Brother Bushy and I, we're oftentimes reading letters. He's reading letters. I'm reading letters. And every once in a while I'll say, you know, I don't, I don't feel like that guy's bringing someone to Christ. He might be have a little Calvinism going on there. I love them, but I'm not interested in supporting somebody who doesn't think people can get saved. I want people that are, that are busy. I know that every field brings different yields. And people that are witnessing in Mexico or, or in a Latin American country are going to be far more numerous, most likely, than someone in Germany or Austria or Switzerland. All the world needs the gospel. But there's going to be difference in that thing. But we want to be, we want to be glad but it, because it's His servants. It's His heart. It's God's heart. It's not my heart, not your heart. You don't go soul winning because you love people. You don't go soul winning because you love God. He's the lover. God so loved the world. We just love it because He loves it. The more I love Linda, the more I like what she likes. I would never crave Thai food. 
I like going to Thai restaurants. I went to one last week. You know why? Because I love her. And I, love, I like eating whatever they give me, too. I can find something I like. It's just not something I was never going to sit in my house and say, I want to go to Thai. You know, I, what kind of nut would you do to do that? You know, I'm just joking. Some of you love Thai food. Linda loves it. I would never crave that. I don't, I don't crave Chinese food. No. I'm happy for her. I'm happy for you. If you like it, that's wonderful. But I, I don't mind going to Chinese food if Linda's going. If Linda wants it, I want her to go. I can enjoy it. I can, I can, and, and not to be drudger, not, not complain. There's something that's good and it tastes pretty good. It's okay. They make it really hot, you know. And I find something I can, I can enjoy. But the more I'm with her, the more I want to do what she likes. The more I'm with him, the more I want what he wants. And then lastly, I think about this. If one person gets excited, and when David killed Goliath and he pulled his head up there, I can't imagine what that's going to look like. And all the Philistines like, oh! And they shout and, and they run away. Like, oh! They, just, just, they weren't expecting that. They had been built up for 40 days. They had gotten all charged up, and now all of a sudden their champion doesn't have a head. And this teenager's going, nah, 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 nah. And now they're the scaredy cats. And then all the other guys huddled masses yearning to be free over here. They're like, whoa! And they shout. And they pick up, where's my sword? Where's my spear? And they're going after it. And takes the enemies of God to flight, capture the spoil, and come back victorious. You know, I think about if, what, what, what could be a blessing to your grandkids, your children, your church, your Sunday school class, if you and I got excited about world evangelism? I wonder if one young person says, you know, God's dealing with me. I think I'm supposed to surrender to serving him. If he wants to be a missionary, I'll do it. I wonder if another kid's saying, boy, if he's going to do it, I, I've been thinking about it a long time, too. I need to do that, too. Someone says, you know what? I need to quit goofing around and just tipping God here and there and doing what any teenager can do, and I want to give aggressively. I wonder if other people would say, boom, I'll do that. And by the way, that's as biblical as the Bible is biblical. We're supposed to consider one another to provoke each other to love and good works. I remember when I was a little kid, it was at Pioneer Baptist Church. I'll close with this. Some all God's people said, I know you're excited about that. But I remember I was working for Mr. Horn, and he owned a, a, um, um, uh, a supermarket, not a supermarket, but like a, a bunch of stores, like the Family Dollar, Dollar General. And he, he owned this big strip mall. And my dad knew him. He was a wealthy man. He had a pool at his house. And we would go in the morning time. And starting in the morning, my brothers and I, we would go and we would pick up all the trash. It was before they had trucks to do that. We'd just pick up all the trash, put it in the thing. And he'd have us move bricks or clean a fountain or do something in the morning that he would take us to his house in the afternoon. We'd go swimming. But he would give us like $15 a week or something. My dad was really, he was insistent that we gave our tithe. But I remember as a little boy, you know, I went and checked, take that $15 and, and, and my dad always took 40% of my, whatever I got anyway. He said, well, one day you'll, it's about your living expenses and I, you know, so give me 40% then tithe off the whole $15. So that's my dad's rule. Mean man. It was easier when I left his house, I was kind of used to living off that 
already had already learned how to live. My 40% uh, of my income is just about a housing anyway. So anyway, and he gave me back all that in insurance payments and new tires for my car occasionally. He was a great dad. However, I remember going to church and I had my dollar and 50 cents there to give to the offering. But I watched men in our church and they had offering envelopes in their pocket. They always had offering envelopes in their pocket. I mean, the older guys in the church and the people, when they came, just what they did, they put their offering envelope in their pocket. And I remember like thinking, I don't want to just put my dollar fifty. I'm going to put it in the offering envelope. So every week I started getting an offering envelope. Now, I had to fold the envelope three or four times and stick it in my little pocket, you know. But I remember going and putting that little pocket, that little envelope in my pocket, and walking around, looking, looking ready for my offering time. You know, those people in church, those men who did the right thing, provoked me to do that. They provoked me. I saw what they did. I remember one time, pulled into our parking lot. It grieved me so bad. My fourth grade teacher was kissing his girlfriend in, the, in his pickup truck in the, behind the church. And I drove over there and I saw, I just felt so sick at my stomach. Here's a guy that's supposed to be teaching me the Bible and he's not even pure I knew he wasn't married. He was doing something wrong. And even as a fourth grader, I thought to myself, you know, I don't, want, I don't want that ever happen to me. I knew how I felt. I felt so dirty. And every time he got up, because if people don't trust you, they usually don't want to trust what you tell them. And when he came the next week, it, I loved him. He was such, I had such high, but boy, I saw him doing that. And I thought, oh, man. I just felt like I didn't really want to hear him teach. Because this example was not good. And let me just say to you, whatever you do is affecting other people. Whatever you do is affecting other people, either for good or for negative. But what David did gave great courage to the other people and said, we can do this. And they chased and went. It affects the group. Five words. The goal that all the earth may know. I forgot the other words. The giant, the guy, the God, and the group that followed him. I think there's great opportunities for all of us to consider tonight.